Good morning, church. I survived a week of summer school camp with my daughter and 100 other kids, so amen. I'm here this morning, and any noise you hear in the background, I don't even hear noise anymore. It's all just focus. There were 17 dads on the camp and one poor mom. We thought it was awesome, though, and in the last night, they sent all, Walter, Walter and I were there, that was so fun, bro, and and the last night, they sent all of the dads into the bush at night and walked all the kids through, and the dads jumped out and scared all the kids, it was really cool, so they sent us out, 17 dads out in the bush, and we were there for like 40 minutes before the kids came, and we thought, maybe they just sent us out here so they could get some work done. <laughs> That was a lot of fun, and amen. It's fun to be around and build with the community there out west. And, and also, for the second or third or fourth time, or however many times you've seen them, I present to you Mr. Mel and Vivian Lopez. Go ahead and stand up, guys. Stand up. Stand up. They are married. That's awesome. You guys look so happy. You look in love. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. And it's good to have the Kleins back. They were away who knows where, doing who knows what, over in Australia, along with some people who went to the School of Missions. So welcome back, all of you who were traveling to Australia. And before we dive into our passage this morning, we want to say a prayer for our brother Samir, who recently lost his father, and he's passed away. And so we, we want to say a prayer as a church, because there's really nothing to that you can articulate to describe that kind of loss. It's very... It's very sad, and so we want to, to grieve and also support you during this time, brother. So let's, let's pray together, and then we'll continue with our service. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we come to you knowing that you are the God and the source of all comfort. And we ask this morning that you do give a great deal of comfort to Samir and his family, God. We know losing a family member, there's nothing like it. It's just such a source of great grief. At the same time, we're we're convinced that you're a good God and that you have everything. and uh, you, You work out everything for the good of those who love you. And we pray as a church body and as a church family, we can really support, encourage, and pray for Samir and his family during this time, God. We love you. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a couple of quotes for you to ponder as we begin this morning. First of all, promises and pie crusts are made to be broken. Very inspiring way to start church. Secondly, this is a headline. Trump has broken more promises than he's kept. And Labor's report card shows broken promises. In fact, if you Google promises and see all of the quotes that deal with promises, the majority of them are negative about promises being broken. And essentially what the message is, people can't be trusted. They may say one thing and do another. Now, to be honest, I've broken promises, and so have you, and we've been on the receiving end of them as well. We've all heard things or said things like, I promise I'll hang out the washing. Oh, I so forgot to hang out the washing. I'm so sorry. Or we've heard, we've heard things, I'll prom- we may have said these things to our kids, I'll promise I'll come to the game. 
And then something else turns up. You don't make it to the game. And then tragically, you, you've, you've probably heard or you, or you know of people that have said to their spouse, I promise to be faithful. And then mistakes eventually come into the marriage. And so we've all heard these. And unfortunately, that, that idea of broken promises gets transferred to God. When we start thinking about God, we think he can't be trusted because I've seen so many promises broken. Surely he's just like that. People think that way. We don't expect God to make good on his promises because no one else really does. And that that impression can get deep into our mentality. And in the end, God just becomes untrustworthy. I can't trust God. I may, I may say he's good, but deep down, I probably know the promise won't be fulfilled. And so the Bible, however, helps us really clarify and change that image of God. Thank goodness. There are so many stories, story after story, that show God is trustworthy. God provides and God keeps his promises. There's so many eyewitnesses in the Bible that are firsthand experiencing God's providence. And history tells us, even with the resurrection, God makes good on his promises. So although culture and society says, don't trust people, they'll eventually let you down, all promises will be broken, the Bible says God is a provider and God is a promise keeper and therefore we need to learn how to respond. Amen. So let's read Genesis chapter 24 in this context and talk about a few points that connect to God being a promise keeper. Are you there in Genesis chapter 24? If you're not, it's on the screen for you and we'll go through this text together. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Abraham was now very old. He was old a few chapters ago. Now he's very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to his senior servant in his household, probably Eleazar, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanite, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abraham said, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying to your offspring, I will give this land, this land right here, not that land, this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. And you might always joke and say, oh, that's cool. Let's put a hand on your thigh, but make sure you know what it is that means. You do a little research. There's more intended than the thigh. The 
procreative organ is involved there. So make sure you don't, this isn't a light oath, okay? This is, you're grabbing hold of something saying, this is, you know, this, this is the future generations in your ancestors. So this isn't something we practice today, just to be clear, okay? We don't want to see any of that. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram near Haram and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the woman go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham. This guy is not a believer. He's not a follower of Yahweh, but he spent his entire life seeing Abraham follow God. So you'll see his, his faith comes mostly from Abraham. Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. We have an Airbnb. You're fine. Just make a reservation and you'll be good. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. And you have to imagine his surprise, because the instruction was just, go find a wife for my son over there. And he lands right in the relative household. And he's so grateful for it. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, who we'll see later in Scripture. And he hurried out to the man at the springs. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard what Rebecca had told, what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. spring. I bet he did. Because it says when he saw the gifts, oh, that's a gold, oh, those are bracelets. Who is? Let me run out to meet this guy. Right? That's, it's not like, oh, it's like, hey, there's some money to be made here. Come, you are blessed by the Lord and obviously very prosperous. <laughs> Let me have a chat. He said, why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. 
So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, I'm ready to eat, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. My master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live, but go to my father's family, to my own clan, and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord, before whom I have walked faithfully, will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. You'll be released from my oath if, when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you. Then you'll be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant me success to the journey on which I have come. See, I'm standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, who Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring in her nose and the bracelet on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get to the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laman and Bethel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry, articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and mother replied, let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. (laughs) Fair enough. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go. She said, and with this ring, I thee wed. That's kind of how it goes from there. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servants and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready, mounted the camels, and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come for beer, Laharoi. He was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening 
to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. And the music started to play. And they ran toward each other. So he got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And that is a large text to read. Genesis is broken into three segments. Three seasons. Season 1, Genesis 1 through 11, that's creation, the fall of humanity. Season 2, Netflix season 2, Genesis chapter 12 through 25, really focusing on Abraham. And this segment is coming to a close. Next chapter, Abraham will die. Genesis chapter 24, the longest chapter in Genesis. So there's obviously a point there. And it's all about finding Isaac a wife. And why is this important? Because Isaac is the promised child whom thousands will come from. But that won't happen unless he has a wife. So this longest chapter is really about God saying, look, I know I've promised you a son. I know I said I'd give you lots of descendants, but you don't, your son doesn't have a wife, but I will provide. I'm the promise keeper. I am the provider. And so this is the first out of three stories in Genesis or the Pentateuch where man and woman meet at the well and get married. So if you don't hear anything else from the single brothers and sisters, the point is go to the well and find a wife. Amen. Let's have a great day. But let's talk about three things from this passage that really stand out. Point number one is God is a provider and promise keeper. Abraham is convinced God will provide for his son. Through his life, he he comes to this conviction, I know God keeps his promise. I know God will provide. Without God even giving him instruction in this chapter. You know, normally he'll say something to Abraham. Leave your country. Go from here to there. Take your son your only son, and go to that mountain and sacrifice him. But, but in this case, there's no direction from God. And so Abraham is convinced, because that's what verse 7 actually says. He, he has this conversation with his servant, and the servant says, what if this happens? And Abraham says, God will send an angel with you to make this happen. Look, I, I've, I'm very old. I've been there and I've done that. I've seen God provide. I've seen God keep his promises. God will figure it out. Just go. And it'll work. God is faithful like that. He provides miracles. I didn't know where I was going. And he provided for me. I, did, I was about to sacrifice my son. And he provided for me. In every instance, I've had front row seats to God being faithful to me. Just go. It'll work out. Because God is faithful. And he's passing, look, he's passing this on to a pagan. This guy isn't a follower of Yahweh. And he's saying, man, I've seen it with my own eyes. Just go and God will work it out. And so the servant says, okay. And he goes on the journey. And he takes ten camels. A sign of Abraham's wealth. Today, it's you have a car full of, a garage full of cars. Back then, it was ten camels. 
to show you're prosperous. And so here he, sent, he loads these camels, he makes the journey, and he arrives at the designated place. And then look what the servant does when he gets to the place in verse 12 through 14. Look what he does. He, you know, this is kind of a, a random request. Just go to this land and find a wife for my son. He gets to the designated spot. And in verse 12 through 14, he has a quick prayer. Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful when? Today. Today. Make this happen. This, this is a crazy request. Right? And, and, and so, how would you even go about this? You know, nowadays we have these dating apps. Swipe right, swipe left. Hope you're not doing that, right? But, that, but that's all designed so people can meet each other. And here, there's like, there's no swipe right, no swipe left. Just go long. <laughs> and hopefully it'll work out. <laughs> right? And so on the way, it's like, how am I supposed to find the woman for my master's son? I don't even know where I'm going. And it takes about one to three months to get there. So he's probably mulling this over in his head. And he gets there and he says, God, make this happen today. Abraham has seen all this stuff. And I've seen Abraham see it. Make this happen today. Because you're faithful and you're a provider. Now think about our lives. You know, think about all the provision that happens for you individually throughout your life. From birth to toddler, toddler to teen, teen to adult, adult to older and mature. Look, for the first two months of your life, you can't even lift up your head without somebody providing support for you. You can't even roll over until like four months. You, you, you need provision for the first several months, for the first several years. You can't even sit up on your own until like six or seven months. You can't even stand up without somebody there providing stability for you over and over. You know, and basic skills like eating and sleep. You need, you need somebody providing constant guidance, constant instruction for more than a decade. And some it carries on even further than we hope or wish. But, but that's the way it works. Like this, this constant provision, right? I did this research and it says if you have two kids and you raise them to 18... You spend about $13,000 New Zealand annually over that lifetime. That's insane. And the, the most year, the 12 to 14, where, you know, they're eating, they're going to school camp, they're, you know, who knows all the expenses. But just the provision financially involved that never really even registers in the mind of kids until they get old and become a parent. They say, my goodness, how did my mom put up with me? How did this even work? And all this happens without any effort from the child. It's just constant provision. And even in worst cases, if the child isn't provided for, what happens? The government kicks in. There's programs and organizations. So the point is, there's provision that happens that reflects God's provision even on earth. Even in our parental system. And so that's what Abraham experienced his entire life. I don't know how it's happening, but it keeps coming. I don't know how my head gets propped up, but I'm sitting up straight now. I don't know how I'm walking. I don't know how I'm fed. I don't know how it's all working. But somebody's providing. And we see that. And that's, that's what Abraham saw in Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. When he takes Isaac. Hey, I don't know how it's going to work, but God will provide. 
I've seen it happen before. That's what Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has a history of providing and keeping his promises. If you're a disciple of Jesus or if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, this is a baseline conviction. God will provide for you. It may take a while, and it may not be easy, but he is a provider, and he is a promise keeper. And we must be guided by this truth, not what you feel like. Because you will feel like, is God, where is God? And I know everybody's breaking their promises, but God constantly takes care of us. Not based on what you've experienced, but what the Bible actually says. God is a provider and a promise keeper. And we have to read the Bible in order to let that conviction grow in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Secondly, we need to move forward, not backward. Our life of discipleship should be one that consistently moves forward. Now, all of us are going to stumble and make mistakes and trip and, and go backwards momentarily. And then we kind of shake it off. Someone help, And we keep moving forward. Look at Abraham. He makes quite a few mistakes, but at the end of his life, very old, he's still looking forward. He's saying, don't let him go back there because the promise happens here. We got to constantly look forward. We can't go back. And so you see, look at this dialogue between Abraham and his servant. Because you got to imagine the servant is like, look, man, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Because it's a long journey. And I show up out of the blue with 10 camels and they're like, who are you? What if she's not willing to come back? Shall I then take your son back there? To the country you came from. Look at Abraham's response. Make sure you do not take my son back there. And if it wasn't clear later in verse 8. Only do not take my son back there. Because my life is all about looking forward. And it's an important question. Because what if she wasn't? Can we negotiate? Can we go backwards a little bit? Can we take a step back? No. Do not let my son go back there. So there's this moment of tension because everything hinges on Isaac finding a wife. And here in this conversation, like, what if it doesn't work out? Can, can, we just, can we just justify it just a tiny bit? I found a wife. Can I take Isaac back? Won't that be all right? Don't take my son back there. Man, this is intense. I want to keep moving forward because God will provide. He always does. And Abraham won't allow him. He even says, look, man, there's going to be an angel that goes with you. The thing about it, permitting Isaac to go back is definitely moving backwards. Because the promise happens here. He says, I trust God by not taking a step backwards. In, in some sense, it's kind of a modern day illustration of an asterisk. And it's pronounced asterisk. You might say asterisk, but it's asterisk. And if you didn't learn anything today, you've learned the proper pronunciation of asterisk. But when you see those, it always points that there's something else at the bottom, right? You see this little ask, he's like, look, man, everybody expects more from me. You look down, see what I mean? There's always some further explanation when you see that at the bottom. And when you read those little bits, they're often so tiny, you can't even really see what's going on. 
for instance, I was looking at flights for Air New Zealand. I know you can't see this, but they have these deals, right? Los Angeles from to Auckland. And I was like, oh, let me look at these deals. This is a good price. And there's a little tiny asterisk there. And, you know, they're all over the place. And it's like, oh, these are good deals. Until you look at this, like, who can even see that? I magnified it as much as I could. You can't even see that. But what you do is those deals are good unless you book the travel two days prior. Which is normally kind of how I try to roll. Let me, quick, let's get a plane. Well, not not really, but... um, the, the idea is, though, that they're good unless there's that little condition. It's fully refundable. Unless, little asterisk, you buy it seven days prior to travel. But you have to read all those things. There's these, all these conditions. And, and so often, when we take steps backwards, we say to God, look, I'll follow you fully, asterisk. And you may not think so, but here's what some of this stuff looks like. Because to to be a people of God, to move forward, we can't allow these little tiny conditions to take steps backward. You know, I'll follow G. Imagine what it would look like in Abraham and the servant's case. I'll follow the orders to get Isaac. Asterisk. Unless his future wife isn't willing, then I'll take him back there. I'll, go, I'll be willing to go backward under this condition. You think, uh, th- this probably doesn't happen to us. But Jesus says in the Bible, when you give up everything you have to follow him, you get a hundred times much in this age and much more in the age to come. Family, friends, homes, etc. That's what he says in the Bible. That's a promise. And so we say, man, I'll follow. I'll give up everything to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Asterisk. Unless I migrate from another country and I have difficulty getting my visa. That's when it gets real. I'll give up everything to follow Jesus. But surely God hasn't thought through the visa conditions because these were just really tightened recently. And I know he can't provide. Talk to Alice Castillo about God providing. That's where you see this, right? You may, ah, this, this is where it becomes real because we do this sometimes. We say, I'll I'll, I'll do anything. I'll be devoted to the body of Christ. Asterisk. Unless I work in retail. Because God surely hasn't thought through the retail and how it works on Sundays. I mean, I I know he's sovereign. And I know he thought through everything. But he surely didn't think of that. This is where it gets real. Because you want to constantly move forward. Those little asterisks make you move backward. And it waters down Christianity. Imagine Jesus saying to God, I'll obey you my entire life on earth. Asterisk. Unless it involves dying like a criminal, dying an excruciating death, and being punished unjustly. I'll obey you unless I have to do that. And so you talk about keeping promises, You talk about moving forward. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sets his face to the cross and says, I'm going to keep going forward for you and me. Because we have to to be a people that goes forward, not backward. Are you becoming more convinced as you grow older as a Christian that God is a promise keeper? Or are you putting a little asterisk in your life saying, I believe unless this condition happens. Don't go back. Let's be a people that moves forward. Lastly, we need to be all in. 
I think part of the reason God chose Abraham is you, you see him, he makes mistakes, but one thing you know, he's all in. There's no doubt about it. And even in his DNA, he, he sends his servant back to his family because there's something in, in Abraham's family that, that you see this characteristic of they just go all in, even if it's wrong. You know, Lot was completely all in in a wrong way. But so when he goes back... Or when, when, when you see Abraham from the very beginning, he gets the call, and what does he do? Next morning, he leaves, and he leaves his country. And he goes, and he builds a tent, and he, and he builds an altar, and he praises God. He's not concerned with, you know, permanent dwellings. He's like, I'm just going to follow God. Three strangers come, Genesis 18. He goes all out. Hey, let me, let me go get the choicest food. Let me go get the best flour. Let me prepare you a nice meal. God says, go sacrifice your son. He gets everything ready, gets the knife, gets all the supplies, goes the next morning. He's always all in. So when you combine all of these stories of Abraham, you, you see a man who's all in. He leaves straight away, pitches a tent, builds an altar, gets really good food for his guest, ready to slay his son. This is a guy who's ready to do whatever it takes. He's not holding back. No reservations. That's the same way Rebecca was. When she is seen by the servant, what is she doing? She's so hospitable. How many camels are there? Ten. Have you ever watered ten camels? Probably not. I mean, this is a long trip. This takes over 100 trips to do this. Now, here she is. And what is his prayer? Hey, if, if you help me find a wife, let her water these camels, because that's not going to happen. And if it does, then she's got to be the one. Because she's all in. And the, the, the passage actually says, he watches her and waits. Because she comes up and says, would you like some water? Yes. Okay, here's some water. I'll, draw, I'll get some for your camels too. And he's like, okay, have a go. She comes back. And, and you read those through verses. What are they? 24 to 28 or whatever those verses are. Man, there's like 11 verbs in that. Verses 16 through 20. She's lowering her jar. She's bringing up her jar. She's drawing more water. She's emptying the jar. She's running back to the well. She's drawing all the water. She's like, <sighs> and he's watching like, She's flat out going to do it. This is crazy. You know, can you, can you picture this? Right, man, this, this has got to be from God. It's got to be. She, she's, she's clearly making it happen. And when he sees it, he's like, he bows down. He worships it. Man, God is real. What Abraham said is right. This woman is all in. She's the one. She's the one. That is Koopa playing poker without his sunglasses. Played with the boys over the Milburns. I've played a couple times. I still don't know any of the hands or any strategies. But I love the idea of just putting all the chips on the table and going all in. Even if you don't even know what it means and, and you don't have the proper hand and we played and, and, La and Aiden, he just, last time just goes all in. There's something like, yeah, there's something like motivating about it. Even if you don't have a proper hand. It's like, man, I'm just going to go in. And when you read, I've been reading these rules for poker recently, so I'm coming for you, Koopa. <laughs> and Aiden and all those other young men. 
they say you should only go all in under these certain conditions. Because then that's when you put all your chips on the table. That's what the world tells you. Give it up under these conditions. God says, look, I've fulfilled all the conditions. Keep going all in. Put all your chips on the table. I provide. I keep my promises. Look at Abraham. Look at Rebecca. Look at the whole Bible. Go all in. Keep putting it all on the table. I love that about the youth and the energy. Man, they they may not have the wisdom quite yet, but they go for it full force. And that's what we need in our church. A group of young men and women all in. Inspiring us. And they need to see that in us. That's how this thing got passed down. Abraham was all in. He passed it to his servant. He sees it in Rebecca. We need to likewise pass it down to our young men and women. They need to see in you and me in us people who are all in for Jesus. That's what it needs to look like. I love studying the Bible with Chris. He's not here. He's in the Philippines going to the water well. <laughs> I love you, Chris. But I love studying the Bible with that guy. You know, we met and he told me his life story and just poured out his heart. And, and we started studying the Bible. And you could just tell. If you know Chris, you could just tell. And, you know, we're studying the Bible for, for a short period of time. And, and one night we were over at our house. And I, I can't remember who was there exactly, but it was a several Two or three hour Bible study, and at the end of it, he's, I need to get baptized. We, we can go by a, a blow up pool right now. I was like, this guy's all in. He's all in. He becomes a disciple, and the first thing he does, he's hitting the university, sharing his faith. I mean, he's all in. He rearranges his schedule around his work so he can spend time with the brothers and sisters. Man, he's, I love that. It gave me, ah, oh, man, it's so refreshing. And it does. And when we're all in, people see that and it inspires other people. I love working alongside with my wife. She is all in. She loves God. She loves me. She loves our kids. We worked together many, many years ago in the university ministry. And that was one of the things that really like drew me to her. Man, she, she goes for it. She works hard. She, she leads the women. When we first started leading, we were overseeing campus students. And we were older, so it's a bit easier to kind of boss them around. <laughs> do this, son. Do that. No, not really, but kind of. But then we, they gave us opportunity to lead older married couples. And, you know, it's a bit okay. They're older. They got more, you know, credibility and longer life. And they have children. And, man, she went all in leading these women. Helping them understand the Bible, calling them to change. Coming to New Zealand and said, hey, we had, I remember talking to Scott over these periods of time. We're going to go to New Zealand. And she was fired up, but she, you know, I, I, it was the t- I saw the wrestling, but she was all in when she came. And she had a three-month-old. And she took care of the two kids while I came up and set up stuff. She, man, we, man, she came here and she hit the ground running. First day I said, you're driving on the left side of the road. And she did. She fights hard for the women in this church. She prays for them. She loves them. She tells you're never going to get a half-hearted effort from Megan. I see it in the way she loves our kids. I see it in the way she speaks to me. And everybody says, oh, Megan speaks truth. Well, I know. And I love it. 
Because I know she's all in. The church in Acts started like that. They met daily. You read the first four chapters. It's awesome. I mean, they're like, oh, you need a home? I got a home. You need an iron? They didn't have irons back then, but they... I remember uh, somebody, Alberto, gave me an iron. Vivian gave me a bed when we first came to New Zealand. Hey, you need this, you need that. That was the church in Acts. It, they were all in. They met daily. They shared everything. Three decades later, the church needs admonishment. The church that started all in, in the book of Hebrews, which is only three decades after the book of Acts, are commanded to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. It only took three decades for the church that was all in and met daily to start giving up that habit. And so now, hey, make sure you don't... Do, man, this, and so we often need that, don't we? Yeah. Hey, remember when you started? And, and, and now you, you come back to it. Be all in again. They were giving away their possessions. Hebrews chapter 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. The church that was giving away stuff now is starting to keep stuff and is concerned about money. And we all need that, don't we? I need you guys. Hey, man, remember when you first, and you were fired up, and, and when, when you first came out of the waters of baptism, and you were preaching, and you were fired up, and we always need to be all in. And we need each other. We naturally lose steam. We need encouragement. We need spurring all. We need community. We need friendship. Keep being all in, in your prayer life, in your outreach, in your giving for missions, in your giving for hope, in your giving in general. Be all in. God is a provider. God is a promise keeper. He always makes good. And as a result, we need to keep moving forward. Because He always will make a way. And we always must be all in. We need to pass that DNA on to the next generation and keep spreading the gospel throughout our city and throughout our country. Amen. That's the end.